0: Our second reading today is Colossians chapter 3, beginning at the fifth verse. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its Creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave and free but Christ is all and in all brothers and sisters this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God God. so if you're visiting for the first time today if you are a member who wasn't able to be here last weekend this is the second uh, meditation on a series of sermons this month on Colossians 3. In verse 12 of this third chapter, we are reminded that we are God's um, chosen sons and daughters, uh, holy and beloved. And so in these um, weeks of meditating on Colossians, we are um, digging into God's word to learn more about what it means to be chosen by this gracious God and how we are to uh, serve him and how we are to relate to one another as these chosen ones who've been set apart to, uh, to be light in the darkness of this world. Today we uh, focus, of course, on these verses 5 through 11. And there are some themes here that I'm going to be preaching on this morning. Uh, we are called to uh, a new life as those who are in Christ. Uh, We are to present ourselves. We are to clothe ourselves differently now that we are uh, light bearers, now that we are God's apprentices uh, following Jesus the Master. And in this new life, uh, we look at people differently. We relate to one another differently. Our relationships are transformed. But let me begin with um, a story from a small congregation where the uh, young pastor was preaching a very... uh, passionate sermon on forgiving your enemies and at the end of the message he asked his congregation a small church in the country by a show of hands if they would now raise their hands if they were willing to take this word of the Lord and go out and forgive their enemies and every single person raised their hand except one woman an older member of the congregation Mrs. Jones already in her 90s and she'd been a widow for a good 20 years And the pastor noticed and said, Mrs. Jones, everyone else has their hands in the air, but you, why aren't you willing to forgive your enemies? And she said, well, pastor, in order to forgive your enemies, you have to have some, and I don't have any. So he asked her to please come forward that she might share her spiritual wisdom, her sanctification to edify the rest of the congregation as to how they too might reach her level of spiritual maturity in not having any enemies to forgive. And he said, Mrs. Jones, you're 93 years of age. Not a single enemy. Please tell us how to do it. And she says, it's easy. My enemies are all dead. I outlived them. (laughs) So God wants you to outlive the problem of sin in your life and mine, but not by longevity. (laughs) Not by reaching 93 or even 103. Uh, God wants us, as Paul attests to uh, deal with sin by putting it to death. In this new life, we are to put to death those things that no longer belong, those things that go with the old life. Again and again, the Apostle Paul reminds us in his epistles that in baptism, uh, we have been crucified And we have been raised with Christ. You, if you're baptized, have already been buried. Your family doesn't have to wait for your funeral. Uh, You've already had your first burial. And in being buried and crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. A once and for all event. When Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all people and all the sins of all humanity. And on the cross, it appeared, did it not, that sin and death had one. It looked pathetic. It looked hopeless. But the fight was not over. It was just the 11th round in this spiritual warfare, not the 12th. Because in that last round, the tomb could not keep Jesus down. And he was more than a prize fighter, you know, struggling to get himself up from the canvas. He had been killed. He died a real death. A horrible, cruel execution. And he rose from the grave that first Easter Sunday. And he's already about the business of raising us up to new life with him. As one, through baptism, raised with Christ, you've already been enlisted. You've already been chosen. You've already been called to fight a good fight, this noble and holy struggle against evil. Not just the evil that's out there that's so easy to identify, but especially the evil that's always lurking, the evil that bubbles up from within, the temptations to do things that we know go against God's word. You are called by God through this baptismal grace to put to death all those things that want to cling to you from the past and from the old life. You see, when God raised you up with Christ, he didn't raise part of you. He didn't give you uh, a portion of new life or a half measure of grace. He raised all of you, your body, your mind, your heart, all of you. Now, this world around us talks about anything but sin. The world around us talks about self-defeating habits Uh, This world tells me that maybe, you know, what I need is some behavior modification. And my wife, Kirsten, will definitely tell you some of my behaviors could be modified. There's a time and a place for modification, but God speaks to us directly about the reality of sin. And it's hope-robbing, relationship-damaging consequences. And God tells you this morning and God tells me that we need more than a few little tweaks here and there. We need more than behavior modification. What we need is nothing less than transformation. And the pattern for this has always been death and resurrection. The cross and the empty tomb. So I want you to think this week about the things in your life and in your relationships that don't simply need to be done less I don't want you to think and pray about the things that you might you know, curtail a bit but think about the things that need the cross those aspects of your life and your witness and your relationships that need to be put to death because God's goal for you is not you know, a 40% reduction in sin the goal is an utterly new you And that brings us to uh, this language that Paul uses about how we are to dress and how we are to uh, put on this new clothing and these new garments. And, you know, he's using this imagery here of how we, you know, appear to the world. You made decisions this morning as to how you would present yourself in God's house by what you chose to wear. Now, I remember my college days, what I chose to wear was easy, you know, it's my cleanest dirty shirt. That was an easy easy decision, but in Christ, as we present ourselves to the world, what do we want the world to see? What kind of ambassadors are we in Christ living in this world but not of it? Because of this new life you have in Christ, you see, Paul is saying that what you used to wear, the way you used to present yourself, doesn't fit anymore. You need new garments and the designer of this wardrobe is God his designs never go out of fashion they're better than any French label because you've been labeled a new creation in Christ God has designed for you a new way of living the old stuff doesn't fit anymore the old style of sin doesn't suit you anymore now like many of you I thank God for this land of enchantment and this beautiful part of God's creation here in the high desert and um, I'm very aware of what my friends and relatives and former church members back in Minnesota are dealing with right now. One of them sent me a picture of a thermometer outside their house, 31 degrees below zero. How do you even go outside in that weather, you know? But here, you know, people are talking about, oh, it's so cold. Well, cold is a relative term, isn't it? But when it's, you know, cold here in New Mexico, which is nothing like the cold of the Midwest right now, we put on long pants and jackets, you know. When I go for my sunrise hikes and runs with my dogs, I dress accordingly. And before you know it, it's going to be too warm for me to wear my long pants and my my jacket. If I put those on in July, you'd be praying for me because I had heat stroke and had to go to the hospital. I'll, I'll be wearing shorts and t-shirts. We dress appropriately, and God wants you to wear what is appropriate for the person you are in Christ, this new life. He doesn't want you to put on the tired old things that are part of the old you, but He wants you to be clothed in Christ as a new creation. And this brings us to um, these new relationships. Don't deny it. We all do it in small ways and large ways. Uh, We size people up, we observe people, and we make judgments. We put them in categories based on what they're wearing. (laughs) We label people. We assume that we can put folks in a box or in a column that we've created. Um, I don't know about you women, but I do know that when men get together, you know, after learning someone's name, you know, one of the first questions is so what do you do? And that's what's your job. And immediately, you start to put someone in a category, blue collar, white collar. High school graduate, dropout. Work with your hands, do you? Oh, you've got a PhD, isn't that nice? We do it all the time. And like many of you, I am so concerned because I have never seen our country more divided by the ways in which people are defining one another and labeling one another as to who is good and acceptable and who is evil and who is repulsive. There seems to be no common decency any longer, no ability to disagree without these personal, nasty, below-the-belt, ad hominem attacks. And so many of you have expressed to me your concerns about the hostility in our culture that has displaced what we used to call civility. And this can happen in the church too. Paul had to deal with it then. And he addresses it in his letter, doesn't he? Because people were still using labels. And he goes, those old labels about who you are, the category that those in the world might put you in, they, they don't belong anymore we don't define one another any longer by these worldly standards but by the kingdom of christ and the standards of his lordship and from now on everyone is defined by jesus in all and among all and when paul says that we're defined by christ what does that mean well we we look at ourselves the way god sees us we're all trapped in sin and through Christ, we've all been set free by grace. And no one is excluded. But the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross, they, they, they are inclusive. And human you know, inclusiveness only goes so far, it has its limits. And human diversity is only so diverse as we try to set it up you know, in our institutions and in our offices. But God's love knows no bounds. God loves you. God has chosen you. And the evil one has always wanted you to doubt this promise and to distrust this grace. And I'm going to conclude with a quote from um, a man that became a friend of mine that I met at a conference years ago. Some of you have read his books. Uh, His name is John Eldridge. And this quote is from um, his book, The Way of the Wild Heart. I quote. This is the enemy's central purpose, to separate you from your father. He uses the ways you've been neglected to whisper, you see, no one cares. You're not worth caring about. He uses the sudden loss of innocence to whisper, this is a dangerous world. You are all alone. You've been abandoned. He uses all the assaults and the abuses you've experienced to scream at you. That's all you're good for. And in this way, he wants to make it Impossible for us to know what Jesus knew. Makes it so very, very hard to come home to the Father's heart. The details of every human story are certainly unique, but the effect is always a wound in the soul, and with it, separation from and suspicion of God. And this enemy's strategy has been very effective. But your God is not willing to simply let that be the end of the story, not in anyone's life. Remember what Jesus taught us about the Father's loving heart in the story of the lost son. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's in Luke chapter 15. Filled with compassion, our Father, the living God, comes to you like a living father now. And he takes you close to his heart. He wants to take us back to heal the wounds, finish things that didn't get finished. He is coming for all his sons and daughters, no matter how old they might be now, to make them all his beloved children. Old Mrs. Jones outlived her enemies. I hope she didn't dance on their graves. But in so doing, she never had a chance To come to terms with broken relationships she never dealt with the sin that had come between her and others and God wants you to outlive the reality of sin in your life and mine but not by mere longevity the sin that comes between you and God the sin that comes between you and the people in your life God wants to help you crucify that it might be between you and your spouse you and your children, you and your folks God wants that stuff to be nailed to the cross so you can live a new life He's designed for you. He wants to raise you up with Jesus. Because you see, God has, no matter your age, a new you in mind. He has a new me in mind. And our God, our loving Father, oh, He's relentless. And He won't settle in this relentless love.